You're listening to the Late Registration Podcast, a podcast that inspires teachers, administrators, and parents to grow in their knowledge, skills, and abilities while working towards creating more accessible and equitable educational spaces. Your hosts, Ashley and Michelle, are educators, moms, and SEL fanatics, and we are obsessed with empowering the next generation of leaders. Join us as we change the narrative on misbehavior and discuss all things education, including building connections, restorative practices, behavior, and social-emotional learning. Are you ready? Let's go! Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. This is the Late Registration Podcast with Ashley and Michelle. And today we are talking with Molly Augustine from NSA Kids. That's the National Stuttering Association. And Molly, thank you so much for being here. Um, To get us started, can you please tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you are involved with NSA Kids? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, So I am a speech language pathologist. I have been practicing for about 15 years. Um, I started working with NSA Kids before it was NSA Kids. It was called YES. Um, and it, which stood for youth experiencing stuttering support. And it was one of the first, um, support group for children who stutter that was started in the country. And and NSA kids was somewhat modeled after, um, that organization. And it was started by a woman named Trisha Krause Lehrman who has also been my mentor as far as stuttering goes my whole career. So she is just, um, she's also a speech pathologist and um, she has solely uh, specialized in stuttering. And so um, she started the support group back in 2000, I believe. And then when I was in graduate school around 2006, 2007, um, I did a practicum, which is just like um, something we do as part of graduate school to um, learn about the actual providing of the therapy part. Um, So I did a practicum with her in YES and just fell in love with it and was just so intrigued by stuttering. It's um, kind of a different disorder than the rest of what we treat as speech therapists. And so I did the semester with her moved on, graduated, and that was through UT Dallas, um, the Callier Center. And so um, a few years after I graduated, I came back and I worked for the Callier Center and started helping her again just as a colleague with the support group. And then um, she was getting ready to retire and asked me to take over. And at about the same time, maybe a year after I took over um, NSA kids as a national organization was kind of gaining momentum. And so we decided to transition over to being a part of that organization. Um, And so I have been leading that group since about, or a part of that group um, since about 2009. 
So it's been a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I can't remember if that was all of your questions. It was probably more information than you needed. <laughs> no, that, that was great. And but, so your, your background, you've been a speech language, uh, pathologist for over 10 years, right? Is that right? 13, mm-hmm. 14 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think at about, I'm at about 15 going into oh. my 16th year. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I've been doing this for a good chunk of that. Um, and for a long time, pre-COVID life, we always met in person. Um, and we meet once a month. Um, and we met at the UT Dallas campus in Richardson. Okay. Um, so, and then... Post-COVID, we've been primarily just online, Uh, but that has actually opened us up to, I think, more kids that live a little bit further out in the DFW area that um, previously weren't really able to come to the meetings. So we've actually had really good attendance with being online, so it's worked out well. That's really neat. And I had mentioned to you um, when we first logged on that I'm so glad that you came on today because... You know, I have a special education background. Ashley and I both worked in public education, but stuttering Mm -hmm. is something that you don't hear about. And Mm -hmm. I know that it's a huge challenge and struggle for kids who do stutter. And so I'm so glad that you're on just kind of bringing like more awareness to it and things like that. And so National Studying Associate National Stuttering Association NSA Kids. Mm-hmm. And then uh-huh. you do yeah. support groups. Mm-hmm. Is that right? For for elementary age kids. So the National Stuttering Organization um started out as support groups. And actually Dallas was one of like the initial support groups for adults who stutter. Um, So one of the unique things about us in the Dallas area is we have um, support groups all the the whole lifespan um, provided here. Most of them are primarily through NSA, but there's actually a group of speech therapists that provide um, some training and education for parents of preschool age children who Mm -hmm. stutter. Um, like once a quarter, they provide a meeting and then we at NSA kids, um, are for the elementary age kids. And then the woman I was talking about earlier, Trisha Krauss Lehrman, she started, um, a group for teenagers who stutter, um, as part of NSA and it's called twist and it's teens who stutter. And they meet online as well. We used to meet um, in the same building, like right next door to each other. So we had a lot of kids that went from NSA Kids to Twist once they got older. And then we have a very active adult chapter as well. So, um, and we've seen kids go all the way through, which has been really special and neat that they have that support system. Um, cause there's different challenges as you can imagine at different ages. So. Yeah, that's really cool. neat. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Cause, and I would think that it could be pretty isolating as well as a kiddo 
who stutters and then mm-hmm. just the anxiety around that. And, and so meeting and being in community with people who have the same challenges that you do, I would think that would be really, really powerful for them. Yeah, definitely. So the prevalence for stuttering in the United States is about 1%, um, which is about a million people, which sounds like a lot, but, you know, they're spread out throughout the country. And so oftentimes kids could be the only kid at their school who stutters. Um, So while they may be in a group with other kids in speech therapy, they maybe the only one that's working on stuttering um, or maybe only one or two kids and maybe the other kids are younger or older. So it's been a really nice place. Yeah. For kids. And oftentimes this is the first place they ever meet another peer who stutters. Um, yeah. And also the, the support for their parents and siblings, we um, highly encourage them to attend. And so um Parents have a whole journey through this as well, and um, that's a big piece of what we do is supporting them, Um, but also this allows them to be with other parents who are either going through this journey or maybe a little ahead in this journey, Um, and that has been, um, I would say, almost more, if not as impactful as the student's is the relationships I've seen and the mentoring and the support of the parents, each other for each other. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's probably one of the the best things too. Like I just think of my own family, we have a, a long history of speech language issues in our, in our family. Like I have a lisp. Um, my dad was a stutterer and he went into broadcast journalism um, and worked in that area before he um, had children. And then my brother also was a stutterer. And then my son, um, who that's how we came about with um, NSA kids also does. And so that parent support piece and just even how we always include um, my daughter in it as well, because I always would think, well, this is his thing. You know, this is all about him, but it really has kind of opened up her eyes. So if I was describing this to someone, what exactly is stuttering? Like how, you know, if I'm telling my daughter, like, well, your brother stutters, what is it? And how, um, how can the child be diagnosed with stuttering? Right. Yeah. So um, I'll give you kind of like the clinical definition and then I'll go into some of the more um, sort of abstract pieces of it that often come along with it. So um, stuttering basically is a speech disorder where um, there is an interruption in either the timing of the speech mechanism or the tension of the muscles used for the speech. So um, those muscles are all really small and they have to move really fast. And um, the location of those muscles has to be pretty exact for our speech to be fluent. Um, so if a little bit of that timing gets off or those muscles get too tight, then we have that interruption, which is then the stuttering. Right. Um, another piece of that, because, you know, we all have 
um, kind of what I call more disfluencies in our speech, but that is different than stuttering. So with a person who stutters, um, when that stutter happens, there's actually a loss of control. So that's really the difference um, between, you know, me stumbling over my words a little bit versus a true stutter. With a true stutter, there's an actual loss of control of the speech mechanism that, you know, for different people lasts a different amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's three different types of stuttering. I think people often think about the repetitions which could sound like that, where they're repeating um, a sound in the word or, 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 or a whole word. Um, Or even if I, if I, if I, if I, if I repeat part of um, a phrase Phrase. too. So we have those repetitions. And I think that's what people often um, connect with, with stuttering. But there's also what's called a prolongation. And that's when a sound is held out. So it might sound something like that or like that. Wow. Um, And then there's what's called a block where the sound is physically stuck and it doesn't come out. So they start saying a word and the muscles get so tight that the sound physically cannot come out. So um, then what I often see, though, is there's a combination of all of those that can happen together. So, so, so. So you might have a repetition and then a block um, as your muscles kind of get tenser as you're going yeah. through that stutter. So, um, and then every person who stutters is unique and they could have all of them. They could have one, they could, it changes over time. Um, kind of a hallmark of stuttering is that it's cyclical. So there are times when it's there's going to be more stuttering in a person's speech, and then there's going to be times where there's less. Sometimes that might have something to do with um, internal factors or external factors, mm-hmm. and then sometimes not. Sometimes it's just part of the disorder. Um, and so we see that up and down pretty frequently with people who stutter. Um, the way people get diagnosed is from a speech language pathologist. Um, for kids, a lot of times that's through the school system or a private practice. Um, and we do a variety of what's called standardized measures, where it's assessments that have been created and data has been taken from lots of kids who stutter and don't stutter. And then we take information in our um, assessment and then you compare that child you're evaluating to a larger sample. Um, And so we take standardized um, or we use standardized measures as well as um, informal measures. So um, another big piece of stuttering that I think is often overlooked or misunderstood is people's reactions to their stuttering. Mm -hmm. So that 
is almost, I would say, more important to evaluate and treat than the stutter itself. So I've met kids who have what's, you know, quote unquote, called a severe stutter, where they're stuttering a lot. You know, there might be multiple stutters within a sentence, but they could care less. So the impact of their stuttering is pretty mild. And they may just want to stutter through, and that's great. Um, Then there's kids where you almost don't hear the stuttering at all. And um, you might label them as mild, Mm -hmm. but it's having a huge impact internally on how they feel about their stutter, about the way they communicate, how they're able to communicate. So really that severe impact is keeping them from saying what they want to say when they want to say it. Um, So when we look at communication as a whole, it's really holding them back more than say the kid who has a lot more number wise stutters in their speech. So that's a big part of um, evaluating children and people who stutter is figuring out the impact of their stutter. Um, And then we also look at some external factors. Are there things, especially um, with younger kids, are there things that are affecting their stutter in their environment? So are things often really fast paced or um, a lot of times with multiple siblings, we have a lot of interrupting or finishing each other's sentences. Um, You know, so sometimes we have to put some strategies in place to address some of those external factors. Um, But one thing I always make very clear to parents is those external factors did not cause the stutter. So while they may be affecting the stutter, it's not the cause. We know that stuttering is a neurological disorder. It's something different in their brain. We're still trying to figure out exactly what that is. But um, but it's not something the parents um, did or didn't do that caused the stutter. That is really re- reassuring because I think... I just remember growing up, my parents had, you know, these different theories, like my mom would blame my dad or my dad would blame my mom about why my brother struggled, you know, with stuttering. And so um, that that's good that it's a brain, you know, that brain based, um, mm-hmm. you know, development on there. So, yeah, I and I sure. think. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and I think, you know, obviously research has continued to progress. Um, so things we thought even 20 years ago, 30, 50 years ago are very different than what we know now. Right. Um, so it was, it's addressed differently now than it was in the past. Yeah. And I could even just, I used to be a junior high teacher. And so I can remember each year I had one, usually a boy that Mm -hmm. stuttered in, you know, in one of my classes, you know, wasn't a lot, like you said, there's, there's not a lot. And so, and you're right, their reaction to it, you know, there were some that, I mean, it was like, I just had to kind of pace myself to be able to talk to them and have conversations, but it didn't really seem to bother them as much as maybe, like you said, someone who had a mild case, but, 
you know, and I just think that time in their lives as well, like they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out who they are, new school, yeah. new friends. And so I just think it was kind of magnified because I just would be like, wow, every year I have one kid who, mm-hmm. you know, either it's their reaction is really heightened to it or um, they, you know, could care less. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes to just the natural temperament of the child, too, Mm -hmm. um, that they're just sort of naturally born with. Um, I see a lot of kids um, just through my practice, you know, my uh, therapy that I provide who stutter that kind of have some perfectionist tendencies. Mm -hmm. And those kids are the ones that typically have a stronger reaction um, to their stuttering. But then of course, you know, there's going to be kids that are more kind of go with the flow and more okay with it. So, um, but yeah, you had mentioned that it's often a boy. So, um, we do know for every girl that stutters, there are three to four boys. So the prevalence is much higher in boys than it is in girls. Um, I have some theories about that, but we don't know exactly why that is. So, yeah, that's interesting. That is really yeah. interesting. I wonder, yeah. so <clears throat> I like how you like use the language of their reaction, the internal and external. I like that mm-hmm. language because it doesn't mm-hmm. like lay blame. It doesn't, you know, put the right. onus on anyone or anything. And mm-hmm. those kind of internal impacts? Is that kind of some Mm -hmm. of the things that you work through um, with your NSA kids group? Yeah. So with NSA kids, we're not therapy. We're not going to be working on, you know, strategies to help talking um, be easier or anything like that, because often these kids are also in therapy. Mm -hmm. And if that's something they're choosing to work on in therapy, then they're getting that there. Our group is really about um, advocacy, self-advocacy, as well as um, as well as that internal piece of, um, you know, number one, understanding what stuttering is, how it happens, kind of that education piece, because. I think it's gotten better, but there's still a lot of misinformation just in the, you know, out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so they may have been misinformed about, you know, how the stuttering started or what caused it or why it's happening or that they somehow can control it. Right. They can't. Yeah. Um, and so we do a lot of that education piece with them, a lot of, you know, facts and myths and um, that kind of thing. And then a lot of sort of exploring that, you know, stuttering is a part of them, but it's only one part of them. And it doesn't have to define them if they don't want it to. Um So, you know, we really try to make it a safe space and we do things like, we have, um, I think, was it, it was our December meeting this past December. We did um, kind of like a little talent show. We call it NS, NSA Kids Got Talent. <laughs> uh, I love <laughs> and, that. Um, 
So it's not really specific to stuttering, but it's a safe place where they can share those gifts. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, Where they can share those gifts. Um, You know, and sometimes it's just they want to share a joke. Or sometimes, like, we've had kids do magic tricks. Or or just, you know, they want to share their art. Um, But they know it's a place where people are not going to worry about how they're telling us about it. They're going to be listening to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we do a lot of, of that piece. And then the other big thing is the self advocacy of, um, you know, how can we educate other people around us about what stuttering is, what it's not? Um, How can we educate people about what helps us and when we stutter and what doesn't help us? Um, How can we do what we call some self-advertising where um, we share that we're a person who stutters, whether that's maybe just wearing a shirt or a button on our backpack or um, all the way up to maybe doing a presentation in your class about stuttering. Um, So we do a lot of that as well. I really like that self-advertising. I like that as well, that language for it. And so are there specific challenges in like the school setting for kids um, that go deeper than just you know, like off the top of my head, I think, well, of course, they may be, you know, anxious about getting called on in class or, mm-hmm. you know, sharing their thoughts and ideas openly. Is are there what else impacts them in the classroom? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the kid. Some kids like don't care. They'll, you know, raise their hand first every time to share in class. Um, so we really have to meet the child where they are. Um, and then work through those challenges with them in therapy, but definitely put some things in place so that they are able to work through those challenges in a safe way in the classroom with the help of their speech therapist. So for some kids, you know, at a certain grade level, they may not want to be called on in front of the teacher, or maybe Mm -hmm. they just want a heads up that they're about to be called on. Um, Sometimes they need just a little preemptive, like, um, hey, Johnny, I'm going to call on Sarah, and then you're going to be next. So we write those, um, if you're a school speech therapist, you would write that into their IEP, their individualized education plan. Um, And there would be some modifications for them in the classroom. Um, Or, you know, say they are not ready to do presentations in front of the class. And so maybe we set it up where they do the presentations one-on-one with the teacher. Um, But really what we want to do in therapy is address why is that, that they're not ready to do that and how can we help them get ready um, in a safe way. So I work a lot on hierarchies and we do a lot of um, kind of actual visual planning with the kids of, okay, here's um, where we feel comfortable uh, speaking with people now Here's where, like, so scary, I can't even imagine. How can we get from point A to point B? 
let's set some little manageable goals along the way. Um, and a lot of times I'll use kind of like a ladder visual or, um, you know, a mountain visual or something like that. And, um, my kids, you know, that get to that thing that was so scary when we first started, by the time we get there, they're like, Oh yeah, that's no big deal now. Right. Um, we just have to kind of take those baby steps along the way. So. Yeah, that's really great. I love that. And I love just that visual of, you know, climbing a ladder or a mountain, like one rung at a time. And Uh, yeah, I I would imagine that's probably really powerful as well for those kids. That's really neat. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I really try to have the kids, um, especially in stuttering therapy, be you know, with me every step of the way with their goal planning, with their therapy. Um, you know, it can't just be me driving the bus. They have yeah, to be right. there too. So I do have fun and same with parents. Um, you know, we got to kind of bring them in on that too of, you know, yes, I know you want them to share what they're doing at school with grandma, but <laughs> let's think of some ways that we can do that. That's not going to be totally terrifying right now. Right. Um, right. Or we may not be there yet, but we can make that a goal and we can get there eventually in a way that they're going to feel confident and good about it along the way. Yeah. I have kind of a silly question. I no worries. Like, I'm all, I take all questions. Yeah. <laughs> I teach um, or supervise graduate students and have for a long time. So no question is silly. Okay. All right. Good. That's good. So, I mean, my, I'm curious I, if I'm an educator and I have a student in my class mm-hmm. who is a stutterer, how does our reaction to their stuttering affect them? Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a one side of my brain is like not even a big deal. Don't even pay attention to it. But then the other side of my brain as an educator, as a mom, as a human's going, well, but I need to acknowledge that to them and validate them and let them know that I'm here to support them. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, do you say something? Do you not say something? Um, you know, what's the preference there and what should we be doing? So that's not a silly question at all. That's a great okay, question. <laughs> um, yeah, like that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something we address in therapy as kind of a self-advocacy piece, but also our role as a speech therapist in the school is to help educate teachers and staff about not just stuttering, but all you know, speech and language disorders. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's individualized to the child, um, as to what their preferences are. But, um, I think for a long time, the word stuttering even felt like a bad word. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't say it, it won't happen. Yeah. Guess what? Even if you say stuttering, they're going to stutter. Even if you don't say stuttering, they're going to stutter. But the problem is the message we send to children by not saying the word and not talking about it is that it's something bad. We need to hide it. We need to, why, if, 
if my mom and dad aren't even talking about it, if my teacher's not talking about it, whoa, this must not be good. I need to try to hide this too. And so um, I actually have a great article written by a speech therapist. Her name's Rita Thurman about the S word and um, stuttering, obviously. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. And about how, you know, we can really neutralize and normalize that word from the get go. You know, like there's nothing, there's no difference in saying they have bumpy speech or stuttering. Like if we just say it in a neutral way, either way, it means the same thing. Right. You know, we give this word so much power when we really don't need to. Um, so my suggestion is I think there's nothing wrong and I would recommend talking to the child about it and saying, Hey, I noticed, or, you know, if the speech therapist has told you like, um, Robin is a child who stutters, uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. Hey, miss so-and-so told me that you stutter, um, and that you guys are working on that together. I would love to be able to support you in any way I can in the classroom. Let, tell me what's helpful to you or, um, what are some things that I shouldn't do that really aren't helpful for you and being able to communicate. And I really just bring it back to that idea of whole communication, not that we're going to do something to make the stuttering less or more because, um, you know, stuttering is just another way of talking. Um, Mm -hmm. so, but we want to be able to help them communicate. Um, so for a lot of kids, not every kid, but for a lot of kids, they don't like to be interrupted when they're stuttering. They um, don't like people to finish their words that they're stuttering on for them. Mm. And a lot of those things. That's my natural, like jump in and finish it, you know, and relieve the the pain or, but yeah. Right. And those reactions all come from a really good place. It comes from a place of wanting to help them. And as a parent, especially I'm a mom, I totally get it. We don't like to see our children struggle. Um, but for them to be able to work through that stutter and get through it, oh, wow. Yay. You did it. You had a stutter, but you still were able to tell me everything you wanted to say. And I believe that you can do that and want to hear you do that however long it takes. Um, and so, you know, yeah, for a lot of them, they, that really is hard for them. Um, The one thing I think that varies a lot is eye contact. Some kids want you to keep eye contact with them when they're stuttering. Some don't. Um, So that's one that I really have found is very much a personal preference. Um, And then, yeah, there's all other kinds of things that help kids or don't help kids. Um, So I think it's best to ask them and start that open dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And continue to talk to them about it. Not Don't make it just a one-time conversation. Right. Um, because every class is going to be different. The expectations of every class is going to be different. Um, so, you know, you want to have a continual conversation about it with them. Yeah. I, it was when you said, you know, if we don't talk about it, then it gives the impression it's something to be hidden. 
And that right. can be so devastating for kids and, mm-hmm. and adults yeah. as well. So I like that just kind of like, let's just lay the book open on the table and have a conversation and, you know, right. what's helpful and what's not. I like yeah. that as well, because I, like Ashley, I would think, well, I'll jump in. Mm-hmm. That yeah. way it kind of takes the focus off the student who's stuttering and puts it back on me because I'm thinking well, that they may be feeling uncomfortable because everybody's maybe looking at them or something. And, or even like the eye contact, I didn't realize that either because I would mm-hmm. probably be prone to look away because I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. seem like, you know, I'm being rude and staring at sure. them right. while they're trying to get out their thought. And so mm-hmm. having, I w- never would have thought to ask about eye contact and what mm-hmm. makes them comfortable or more uncomfortable and what's helpful for them. So that's a really good point. I just, yeah. it would, you know, not in my wheelhouse and I wouldn't have thought to ask that either, you know? Yeah. And so I, th- yeah, I think it's just really, you know, um, talking with them and, and also going like, Hey, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to probably, you know, even though I don't want to, I'm going to, I might accidentally interrupt you, but we're going to keep working on it together. And, um, I want you to know I'm on your side and I'm here and you help me. You tell me, (laughs) Hey, Miss Smith, you just said a word for me. And actually that's not the word I was going to say. So I think that's the other thing. Like we think we're going to help them finish the word and then we picked the wrong word. And so ah. we're like, no, wait, that's not what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, so good so, at assuming too. We think we yeah. know, you know, we're so good at assuming things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Yes. I'm very good at that. <laughs> I think we all um, are. Yeah. yeah. And I think for younger kids, especially um, parents and teachers, their first inclination is to go, oh, slow down, take a deep breath. Again, that comes from a, a, you know, honestly good wanting to be helpful place. But the thing with stuttering we have to remember is it's that loss of control. So if they could stop and take a deep breath and that would stop the stutter, they would. You know, even as a young child, they, they are trying to figure out every which way, how do I get my words out? So, um, if that worked, they would do it. And so then it becomes this kind of frustrating piece of every time I talk, my dad tells me to take a deep (laughs) breath, like, (laughs) and then I take a deep breath and I still stutter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to tell him I want to go outside. Well, he just let me tell him I want to go outside, you know? Um, so I, I just tell the listener of a person, you know, whoever's listening to a person who stutters, that's your number one role. Listen, be patient and listen. Um, and I, I think I have learned so much from my kids who stutter about, slowing down everything is so fast paced Mm -hmm. and so we feel like we just have to go 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 
but it has been such a gift to me to learn how to, you know, we're not in a rush. Right. Take our time. Um, you know, we can pause, we can not fill every silence. Um, but it, it takes practice. And again, we're going to mess up, but, um, the more you practice, the easier it is at, at having those wait times and quiet listening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think when you said that about we're such a fast pace, you know, society and really Mm -hmm. it's not conducive to someone who stutters, but it seems like I know from my own family and it just seems from the other families, you know, NSA kids, it's not like we're going there, like you said, and getting speech therapy or anything like that. We're really just like just giving them a place to be and like you said, and take that time. Um, And so I just you know, just kind of thinking about that, like, I, I think it allows me to be a better parent and a better listener, um, you know, and I just kind of wish I could go back when I had <laughs> those students and do things differently. But, um, you know, obviously that, you know, like you said, we're all different places of education. What was, mm-hmm. you know, what was the trend then, you know, was not maybe as, as um uh, research-based as it is now, as far as what we know about these um, disorders like stuttering. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and you just do the best with what you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh my gosh. I think about not just the kids who stutter, but all the kids when I first started practicing as a speech therapist, always think like, I need to contact those families and say, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing, but you know what? 10 years from now, I'll think back on this time and go, Oh my gosh, I had no idea what I was doing, but that's not true. I mean, that's not true. You do know a lot and you just, like I said, do the best with the knowledge you have. And then as we gain more knowledge, we, um, you know, work on being flexible and, um, growing with that knowledge as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, that is amazing. Um, well, I know you talked a little bit about the challenges in schools and, and even kind of a little bit about their social lives as well. Um, and I know you mentioned too, just really taking what we know and and doing as, as best as we can and understanding that we will make mistakes, but how can we as educators, friends, and families support a child who does stutter? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just opening up that dialogue and keeping it open because what helped them or didn't help them as a kindergartner is going to be different in third grade and seventh right. grade. So we've got to continue to have that conversation with them. Um, and by continuing to have that conversation, that teaches them that what they have to say about how to support themselves is important. And so they're learning all along the way, those self-advocacy skills so that as an adult, when they get to college, they can go to the professor the first day and say, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I'm a person who stutters. So sometimes when I answer in class, it may take me a little bit longer to get the answer out, but 
I still want to provide answers. And, um, you know, when I give my presentations, it may take me a little bit longer than other students, but I still want to give the presentation and, um, you know, be able to do that even with my stutter. Or when they go to the workplace saying, um, hey, manager, just wanted to let you know I'm a person who stutters. Can I talk to our team about some things that help and about what stuttering is so that they understand what's happening when they hear my stutter? And those things just become their norm and like right. just what they do. And they're able to create those safe spaces all along throughout their life um, because we've been teaching them from a young age. Yeah, do that and that it's important for them and for everyone else. I mean, every person that they touch along the way is becoming more knowledgeable and more understanding about stuttering. Um, so what a gift to those people. As yes. Well. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that, too. Just the the lifespan aspect of it, you know, like. Right now, my son's in sixth grade, but then when he gets to high school and having to navigate that realm, maybe getting a job, you know, like and how being able to feel comfortable enough to go to your boss or go to your teacher or professor and advocate for yourself. And I just don't think I even had those skills. And so I just think that is such an important, almost like they're getting more than um, if they didn't have the, the stuttering, you know, it's kind of equipping them to be yeah. advocates for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I like people the, who, when you uh, saying, sorry, like, go ahead. Teaching them how to create safe spaces yeah. all along mm-hmm. their journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said that it was like, oh my gosh, I need to learn how to do that for myself. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but it is such a gift. Yeah, it really is. And people who stutter are often the most eloquent communicators because all day long they're thinking about talking. <clears throat> and so in their whole life, they have been working on communication. So you know, sometimes the very best CEO is a person who stutters. Mm-hmm. The The very best, um, you know, communication PR strategist is a person who stutters, which you wouldn't initially think of that, but okay. they have so many more skills that they have gained that just the general population doesn't do, you know? Yeah. Um, So, and one of the nice things about NSA is that they do have that support across the lifespan. So they do, um, even just as a national organization, um, and they've been doing more and more of these kind of um, sort of specialized online group meetings where like the focus is about interviewing or the focus is about stuttering in the workplace. Um, or they even have like women who stutter, um, Ah. you know, or dating as a person who stutters. So, um, you know, if there's a certain area that you're wanting to get more support in, they're having more and more of these kind of specialized, um, support meetings and, you know, 
there are some good things that came out of COVID. And I think this idea of that we can connect with more people throughout the country now, because we're all so much more comfortable on these online meetings. Um, and NSA has really embraced that idea. So. I love that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And where can I go to look for more resources and information to support a child who stutters? Mm-hmm. NSA. So, yeah. The national stuttering um, association has a great website and they, um, have split their information up into like, you know, information for preschoolers, for kids, for teenagers, you know, all of that. Um, And then they also have a way for you to find support groups in your area. And then um, another great place is called the Stuttering Foundation. It's another um, really well-known organization that has a lot of great resources for parents. Um, especially if they're in the beginning stages of getting their child, um, assessed and diagnosed, um, lots of great videos and things Mm -hmm. like that. So that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. So stuttering foundation is another, Uh yeah, Yeah. the stuttering foundation. Yeah. Um, and then I'm drawing a blank. On the name. Another great resource for speech therapists to learn more about treating stuttering because, um, Michelle, I was telling you before we started, we don't get a lot of training um, in graduate school as speech therapists for treating stuttering because really there's so many things that speech therapists can treat um, that it's just hard to get it all in in two years. So we have a class that's required. And then um, if you choose to do a practicum with stuttering, that helps, but that's not a requirement. So um, another great place is um, the woman's name is Nina Reeves. And she's a speech therapist that's actually based here in Dallas. And she has an organization with a man named Scott Yaris and they have created a lot of very user-friendly materials and information online with their organization and I am looking up the name of it um let's see it is stuttering therapy resources Um, but there's also information on there for, um, kids who stutter and families and things like that, but it's a great resource for other speech therapists as well. Yeah, that will. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of this great information. I mean, I, like I said, I, I felt like I've lived in this life of stuttering, but this is just, has given me a different perspective as a a parent and, um, like I said, a former middle school teacher. Um, but we do want to know just a little bit about you and, and not just, you know, stuttering. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions. The first one is if you could have dinner with anyone in the world and it could be someone who's deceased or alive, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this, you, (laughs) 
you know, sent me this question ahead of time, which I'm uh-huh. so glad you did because I had to really like, there's so, I mean, like, it's hard to pick just one person. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> it was a little bit daunting. <laughs> Um, and I would have dinner with different people for different reasons, you know? Um, but I ultimately decided that I think at least today, this is who I would pick, um, would be Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I love musicals and theater. Um, and my son is a huge Hamilton lover. Um, and that really sparked his interest in so many things, history, number one. Mm -hmm. Um, and then number two, he just loves, um, the idea of like writing and creating his own play and movies. And and that all kind of came from him, um, initially watching Hamilton and then learning more about Lin-Manuel Miranda. So um, I just think he's a fascinating person. He how he created Hamilton. And I just want to get inside his brain. Um, so I think he would be a really interesting person to have dinner yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. Yeah. 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 Now, have yeah. you seen, I know you said you've watched Hamilton, but have you seen it? Like even in New York or anything, or is that on bucket list or? So I saw a traveling show here, and we it was in Fort Worth, Um, and then of course we watched it when they put it on Disney Plus. Disney Plus, yeah. Um, But my parents actually got to see Lin Manuel Miranda as Hamilton in New York, Um, and I think. Like I'm just living vicariously through them, <laughs> uh, but they are huge musical theater lovers as well, and so they kind of followed his trajectory to Broadway. And yeah. So as soon as it made it to Broadway, they got tickets and and went. That is so cool. That is yeah. cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that was a great. I love that. This is why we ask these questions. We always love these interesting. No. And I'm always surprised. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, but I'm always like, oh, well, you know what? I would have never thought of that person. Yeah. Yeah. And our final question is what, if money was no object, where (laughs) would that be? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just sit in that for a moment. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Where would you take a dream vacation and why? So I think right now in my life, with just like being in the thick of it with work and life and parenting, I just want to go to a beach, anywhere where there's a beautiful beach. And I don't want to get in the ocean. I don't really like being in the ocean, but I like looking at it. Yeah. And I just want to do nothing. <laughs> and I want somebody to bring me snacks and drinks and just lay there. <laughs> yes. That would be my dream vacation right now. You yeah. know, maybe at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Not have to think about anything else or rush to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think right now in the stage I'm in of life, that's what I would like to do. 
I think a lot of our listeners could probably resonate with that and are probably in that same stage. I was like, yes, when you were saying that, I was like, and the little umbrellas in the drinks too. (laughs) Like I want want that as well. So I can, uh, I can appreciate that. Yeah. And I think for part of the vacation, I just want to be by myself, (laughs) just me. And maybe later, like other people people. can join, but you know, as a, as a parent, it's hard to get alone time. So it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said you have unlimited budget so you can fly them in whenever you feel like during the vacation. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We should get like the local like spa hotels to sponsor them, you know, because it's like, I have her, I think every single woman I've known, especially one who's married and has children have made the Uh comment of just want to like spend a night in a hotel by myself Mm -hmm. and order room service and not do anything. Yes, It's like, man, no, Local hotels should like put on like a a mom's night away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they pay good money. My husband has my husband has gifted me that a couple times, and it is every bit as wonderful as you think it would be. <laughs> um, I, I mean, need to literally write for my husband. Like, I didn't go anywhere. I ordered room service. Yes. I watched whatever I wanted on TV as loud as I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, anybody out there who's a parent, get your partner that as a gift and you will win lots of points. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Valentine's Day tip. There yeah. you go. That's yeah. pro tip. Right. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining us yeah, today, Molly. This has been so eye-opening and even the pro tip here at the end, I'm just like, my birthday's next week. So I'm adding it to the list of things that I need. Um, And so, yeah, you just really helped us to understand stuttering a little bit more. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of NSA kids. And um, so thank you again for being part of our show. Mm -hmm. This is Ashley. And I'm Michelle. And we will see you next time. At some point, we're going to nail the ending, Ashley. We are. That's the part that we struggle with. So just know, we're just like, okay. It's not going to be today. Yeah. It's not going to be Every podcast I've ever listened to where it's kind of more conversational, it seems like every podcaster has a hard time with signing off. Oh, good. Um, Okay. Yeah. This has been a Two Profesh production. Have a ridiculous, funny, or horrifying story to share? We want to hear it. Email us your side of the story at thelaterpodcast at gmail.com. That's L-A-T-E-R podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Until next time, stay safe and stay profesh.